Welcome to Book Rising, a podcast by the Radical Books Collective. Hello and welcome. My name is Meg Ehrenberg and I'm your host for today's episode of Book Rising, the podcast of the Radical Books Collective. Intended to rhyme with uprising, the Book Rising is a collection of progressive conversations about books, publishing, and writing. Today, I'm delighted to kick off a sub-series of episodes focused on the publishing side of things with a conversation with Walter Bagoya, the founder of Tanzania's path-breaking independent press, Mkuki Nanyota, which has just completed its 40th year of producing relevant, beautiful, and affordable books against the steep odds of independent publishing in Africa. At the halfway mark, we are joined by Mkuki Bagoya, the press's current creative director, to talk about Mkuki Nanyota's current projects and the future of publishing in Tanzania and across the continent. Mze Walter Bagoya, welcome to Book Rising. Okay, thank you. I'm just delighted to have this chance to talk to you. Let me start by congratulating you on behalf of the Radical Books Collective, a bit belatedly on the 40th anniversary of Mkuki Nanyota, the press that you founded in Dar es Salaam in 1981. This is an incredible testament to your resilience and commitment to the project of nurturing independent cultural production in Tanzania and Africa more broadly. Hongera Thana, congratulations truly for reaching this this landmark. I do, I do want to talk about Mkuki Nanyota's current projects and plans for the future, but I, I thought we could start by talking about the, the early years. Um, if you could tell us a bit of your own story, how you got into publishing in the first place and how Mkuki Nanyota came to be. Right, okay. Um, I finished school, university in Kansas, uh, the U.S. in 1965 and went back to Tanzania. In 1966, I joined the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and worked there for, worked there for about seven years before I joined publishing. Uh, when I was working in the Foreign Ministry, I was mostly working on African affairs, which uh, uh, was support of the National Liberation Movements and so on. Um, and I worked in the embassy in Ethiopia and in China, uh, which also represented, we represented in, in, in Vietnam and North Korea and so on. But I came back to Tanzania uh, uh, in 1971, and I thought, although the work was interesting there, I thought I could not really see myself doing that for the rest of my life. So I joined the Tanzania Publishing House in 1972 and uh, started publishing. It was a state publishing company doing mostly textbooks, but I was more interested in books, uh, academic books, uh, scholarly books, basically books that were uh, important in terms of uh, what our countries were going through, our visions of the future. and then, of course, Tanzania at this time had adopted the Arusha Declaration uh, blueprint for socialists, socialism and self uh, develop, uh, self-reliance. And I thought my work would be basically to advance uh, the cause of social, socialism and self-reliance in Tanzania. Uh, in, while in uh, TPH, we published How Europe Had Developed Africa, which was a very, very important uh, book uh, that uh, basically shaped much of the debates and discussions in the 70s uh, about Africa, about African development, about African liberation and so on. Uh, But um, I worked there for a number of years, uh, about 18 years. And then I, uh, at this time we had, uh, particularly in the 80s, a very difficult time in Tanzania with the structural adjustment programs of the World Bank which actually decimated very much uh, our, 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 our companies' uh, finances, not just our companies, but basically all the social services in Tanzania. Uh, uh, it was very, very, very difficult at this time. The Tanzania shilling was so devalued that almost all the working capital we had was wiped out. And so we really could not continue to publish. Uh, uh, most of the problems were the printing industry. Uh, they could not get spare parts. Paper was scarce. Uh, 
and um, all the other pro, uh, consumables in the, the printing industry, inks and so on, were just unavailable. If they're available, they're too expensive, and we couldn't therefore actually continue to publish books in Tanzania. So I thought there was no point in remaining there. So I started uh, working on, on um, Kuki Nanyota and started very modestly with uh, basically children's books, <laughs> two or three children's books, but they gave me a chance to think and to prepare uh, to do more interesting work. Uh, continuation of the work we had been doing in Tanzania Publishing House, mostly what you could call left-leaning books, uh, progressive books. At the time, there was a lot of uh, discussions and debates at the university in Dar es Salaam in the 60s, which led to some of the significant publications also that we published there. And when I went to I went with the authors and with the work that we had been doing. So that's in short what uh, um, uh, set us uh, doing what we are doing now. But I'd like to just point out here that we had basically three guidelines. One, that we wanted to do relevant books. And by relevance means relevance to the African condition, Tanzanian situation. And we said beautiful books. We were also very keen to publish books that were were, were beautiful in the sense that they were presentable, in the sense that they could compete in terms of the quality of publication uh, with the other books published elsewhere. Right. And then we said affordable books because that also is important. So I, I'm, I'm glad you brought up uh, Walter Rodney's uh, How Europe Underdeveloped Africa as, as one example. Um, you know, I, I attended some of the celebratory events last month that were commemorating your anniversary. And I remember um, listening to Kenyan poet Abdulatif Abdallah commenting on the, the incredibly important role that you personally played for, for activists like himself who were fighting for social justice in Kenya. Um, and that relationship that you had with many radical thinkers at the University of Dar es Salaam at the time. Um, so, you know, and, and under your leadership, obviously, at TPH, you were publishing these, uh, these texts like Rodney's, um, Rodney's book in, in 1972, and Isa Shivji's Tanzania, the Silent Class Struggle was also published during that time. Um, and I'd love to hear just a little more about especially about those radical years in Dar es Salaam um, and the relationship between publishing and those and those leftist movements, which were so, so vibrant at that time at, at the university. Well, <laughs> it's interesting to uh, sometimes ask myself whether I'm a publisher or I'm an activist, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I think I saw publishing as part of activism, actually that what we are doing was to take those, those ideas that were being discussed and debated and then have them in books so that people could read the books and mm -hmm. therefore continue to discuss, continue to debate, okay? So, uh, and then of course, the, the thing is, it was a choice I made. And I think these are the choices publishers make. What do you want to publish? Right. Who do you want to publish for? I mean, if you want, for instance, to to publish frivolous stuff that may sell and make money, but it's not really interesting in terms of uh, what people are doing in terms of trying to improve their lives. And I'm not talk talking improving their lives only on a material basis, mm -hmm. but to liberate themselves from, from not just poverty, but from, from oppression, from imperialism, you know? So uh, that's a choice. And that's a choice I made to do books of that kind. So when it so happened also that this was a very vibrant time in Tanzania, when many people from all over the world were coming to Tanzania because Tanzania offered space for these very, very, very engaging debates from all directions and all tendencies, all peoples from South America, Latin America, from Asia, from Europe, from America, North America, black people, uh, African-Americans coming to Tanzania 
and 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 some of them settling there and and so on. This so I thought publishing house were therefore in a way a voice where where uh, I mean a channel where these voices could be channeled and heard. If you see what I mean. Yes. Yeah. So now, as to the, uh, what Blatif uh, was saying, yes, we did play a little bit of uh, support for the underground, but that was on a personal level. But it was just part of the my own consciousness of of the of the internationalism. But in, 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 in any case, Blatif was a very close friend, introduced to me by Sheikh Abdullah Nasri, who just passed away, by the way. Mm-hmm. He was a, a great person in every sense and a great editor to Oxford University Press. And uh, so we were, we, were, we were working together. And then when they, they went, uh, uh, they were doing some work, which was not, uh, um, what I say, was not possible to do that work directly in Kenya. So they, we gave a little bit of support, not that much, but uh, you know, we can't go too much into details of that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, but we, 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 so, and as I say, this was for me um, a part of the, of the consciousness of what a publishing house or publishing enterprise that is progressive does. Okay. That's what I still think we need to do. There's so many issues. Okay. We're talking about democratization. We're looking at the world and seeing what, what's going on. And the uh, United States is a very, a very interesting case of uh, what is happening in the world with democracy, where we see all elements of fascism you know, growing. And how do, you, how, how, do we, how do the intellectuals place themselves to fight against this? And how they, not just to fight, but to promote the other values. Uh, publishing here comes into, uh, serious play, and uh, one hopes that uh, through the work, through through more literature, more progressive literature, we can fight these growing anti-democratic values, anti-democratic uh, right-wing movements that uh, we see everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know some of those texts in- included some some. Critique certainly Shivji of of uh, Mwali at the time. Did you ever run into encounter resistance, government resistance to what to what you were publishing or what you were trying to do? Okay, we didn't really. That's very interesting, also. And uh, I, I, one of the credits one has to give to Mwali was that he he was. He was ready to, to, to he was he, he was confident enough in him, his work and himself to not to worry too much about you know critical uh, uh, writings about him or even critical voices. And so uh, I don't think he he particularly liked it <laughs> because he didn't agree. He, he was not he, he didn't agree with the Marxist trajectory that the, most of these books were. Uh, these, these ideas were coming from, but he was he was tolerant. He he wanted people to read and to choose out of those ideas, including his own. In other words, he he wasn't like the other people who say it's as my idea or no idea. No, right. he was prepared. Now, in fact, to, to just give you an example, when we were going to publish uh, Silent Class Struggle by Sashivji, uh, the chairman of our company uh, wasn't very happy. So he went to see Mwali Munyerere and asked him whether we should, he thinks we should go on publishing this book or whether we should, they should stop us from publishing the book. And Mwali gave him a very, very interesting uh, reply. He said to him, look, my job is to be president. Let the publishers decide what they publish. Let them do their jobs. <laughs> and that was a very, very, very good for us because it covered us almost for the rest of the time we worked. He said, let them do their work and I'm doing my work. So yeah. in that sense, we are very, we are very, very lucky. Mm. And, uh, yeah. mm. I, I know that um, Swahili language publishing was also a big part of your mission from the beginning and in, in this project of um, also of, of spreading uh, radical ideas. Um, I'm, I'm wondering what, 
from your view, what the Swahili language publishing scene looks like today? I mean, are you are you seeing African language cultural production playing a a, a decolonizing role in East Africa in the ways that that Ngugi wa Thiongo, for instance, has always has always insisted? Well, again, this question is a, is, a, is 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 a, is a very critical question in our, in our in our view. First of all, our people can't communicate in English, except for a very only a small percentage of our people can read and, and, and work in English. Very small percentage. I doubt if it's five five percent. I mean, yeah. effective. There may be ten percent or even twenty percent who can speak a little bit of English, but that those are not the people who are going to read a book in English. You know, if they if they have an alternative. So uh, uh, we are very keen to publish books in Swahili for all kinds of reasons. We think that we we have a responsibility to develop our own languages, to use our languages to develop literature in our own languages. And Swahili, in the case of Tanzania and East Africa, is the language of communication of the majority of the people. So why not therefore have, through this language, a literature that's also liberating? Uh, and, um, and so, you know, literature in the sense of political literature uh, and as well as fiction, you know. And so we're very much engaged in developing both. We are trying to, uh, we have started working on producing uh, professional books in, in, uh, in Swahili, for example, medical books and uh, accounting books, business books. And so we, we hope this way that we can also show that science is not only done in English, science is done in every language, right. you know, and, and, and by dispelling these myths also, it's, it's liberating because our education from the colonial times has always emphasized that only, only science comes from Europe, comes from white people, you know, right. or books. So now where we can show that, no, 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 no. Every language can carry science. You know, and people can study in science, science in their own languages. But of course, we are having a big, big problem for facing a monumental uh, uh, resistance from those people, or I could say, I could say our own people, who, who under some very strange <laughs> idea that English is the language of the world, Swahili of the world, that's fine, it is the Swahili of the world. But we are speaking in Tanzania. We're not speaking, we're not in the world in English, we're not in the English world. Uh, I had just a discussion uh, recently with Ngugi, giving a very interesting example. One time he was speaking in, uh, uh, giving a, a, a speech in, in UK somewhere. Mm. There was an African author, very famous, Louis Nkosi, you might have heard of him. Yeah. Louis Nkosi stood up and spoke in, it's all Kosa. And then say to 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 Ngugi, So now, how how do we do? Uh, you can't answer me. <laughs> well, Ngugi was very calm and said, "Yes, but if I spoke as your language, we would communicate. Hmm. We are not communicating because you know that language. It's Hosa, and I don't know it. But if I do Hosa, we would communicate. So he said, "There's no issue here." We are communicating through English because you are, you know, we're communicating with these other people. But if they communicate in their own languages, they don't need English. We wouldn't need English if we, I knew your language, which of course was a, very interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, but we have got people in Africa, but it is a colonial hangover, who think that in order to show that they are, they, are, they know, they are, High academics, or etc., they have to do it in English or French or Portuguese, which is completely nonsense. Hmm. If they know what they do, they can express it in their own languages. 
Now, obviously, if they have not been working with the languages, they will have some difficulties. But so we do, we have difficulties learning the English language <laughs> after all, or Chinese or whatever language. It's an effort. Of course, right. I, I, I wonder as we're, as we're starting to shift the conversation uh, to Mkukinanyota in the 21st century, if we could also invite in Mkuki Bogoya, who is the press's current creative director and who also happens to be your son. Um, I'm, I'm hoping we can kind of shift to talking maybe some about these radical commitments as you're starting to do what they look like today um, and how the terrain has changed for the press. Um, Cookie, welcome. Uh, uh, thank you very much, Asante. Um, I, I know that uh, international distribution and dissemination remains uh, a pretty big problem when it comes to books from presses like yours. Um, and you, you've mentioned elsewhere that the African Books Collective has been an, part, an important part of addressing that challenge. I'm just wondering, can you explain what African Books Collective is and how this process works? Um, is this for me or for Walter? Either of you, feel free to jump in. Okay. Um, um, maybe Walter can, can probably explain, you know, the, 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 the founding and the initial uh, drive for... for coming together as publishers to form African Books Collective. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I can, I, can, I can then sort of take on, you know, how it operates at the moment. But I guess maybe I can just carry on with that. Um, currently, we, uh, the collective basically uh, helps to help African-based publishers distribute their books um, out, for the most part outside Africa, even though they, they also do um, distribute in certain parts, some parts of Africa as well. But uh, generally speaking, um, they help our books reach um, the U, you know, Europe, the US, Asia, uh, as well as um, dealing with sort of the, the log logistical parts of uh, getting books into to Amazon and uh, and various libraries around, um, um, you know, around the world in, in terms of sort of making sure that, uh, you know, doing contracts, et cetera, you know, those kind of um, collaborations with, with those other entities outside, which will be a bit challenging to do it when you're based in the continent. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and so, and so they give us a very big presence uh, online. Um, they fulfill orders just like any other uh, e-commerce website and they've been extremely efficient at that so they're giving uh, African publishers an outlet um, a very solid consistent outlet uh, and actually even more importantly uh, uh, because they're a non-profit you know most of the most of the of the of the revenue goes back into into uh, African publishers and authors uh, unlike, say, something like, you know, a, a place like Amazon, which usually kind of takes the, the lounge share of, of the of revenue. Right. Um, and how, how has the last two decades of, of digital publishing changed the industry for you? Um, I mean, how, how particularly in Tanzania, but then also, you know, more broadly? I mean, I think it's... Um... It's definitely widened the scope of. Uh, okay, first of all, it has. In, it, I think it has increased the output of, of of books just generally, since simply because it's come with uh, more affordable tools. There are a lot more self-published authors, so self-published books as well, just because of the digital kind of revolution. Um, but also, there have been. Um, I can speak for Tanzania, but I think generally speaking, there have been parts where digital books have been increasingly doing well. I think in Nigeria, they have Okada books, which has been quite successful there, I think, and uh, a few other parts of Africa as well. But in Tanzania, it's not been, we, we still have been primarily print-based uh, uh, kind of publishers. Um, so our market hasn't quite 
um, even though we have very, very high internet penetration, right. but, um, but generally it's not been uh, for purchasing or, or, or consuming books in that way. I mean, a lot of books are consumed through, you know, kind of like pirated copies on WhatsApp, you know, okay. pirated yes on WhatsApp and, and other mediums. But, but um, I think the challenge for us has always has been to shift kind of like the attitudes towards sort of purchasing now instead of freely sharing. But I think that's also kind of um, a larger kind of internet culture uh, because a lot of the tools and the services that we use are typically free. So I think um, a lot of people using um, or accessing content through their mobile devices tend to expect the content to be free. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't excuse books either. So, but it's something we're working on. Um, but definitely uh, from a marketing and branding point of view, I think it has been a huge boon because we've, we managed to reach a lot of new audiences just simply because um, we're on social media and we can be able to, to engage directly and get direct feedback. Um, but actually an interesting um, uh, you know, an interesting uh, thing happened during the height of the pandemic when we released uh, the biography of Nyerere because at the time we were, we were also on lockdown um, and uh, you know, people were not going into shops and we, we were just lucky enough we had been developing our website and uh, transitioning it into sort of uh, to, to have an e-commerce capability and it just so happened that when we we're releasing this book, uh, we were able to to distribute it for the most part digitally. Even though it was in print, um, uh, we were able to sell it digitally. So we were able to get orders, get people to pay for the orders, and then we just kind of deliver using um, a motorbike courier. Uh, this is, this would have been a disaster had we not had that that option because really we would no no bookshops were open no you know it would have been really right. a very difficult way to to launch such a big and important work like that so so yes there have been some gains and there have been some you know hurdles in there but generally speaking you know uh it's been quite positive i i'm curious to hear you know 2021 was um was an incredible year for African writing, of course, on the on the international prize circuit. Um, something like seven of the world's top literary prizes went to writers from the continent. Um, but as far as I know, and you can correct me if, if you know otherwise, I, I think all of the awardees books, except for maybe uh, Damon Galgut's really early works, were published by European publishing houses um, rather than Africa-based publishers. And I'm wondering whether something like Gurna's Nobel Prize, for instance, uh, has had or will have any any positive effect in your view for East African publishing. I mean, what what would have to change for this kind of international attention to African writing to benefit publishing on the continent? Um, Please. Uh, no, you go. You can start. And then... Okay. This is a this is a problem that uh, uh, we face. Uh, basically, is that uh, the typical case is that uh, an African author, young or just beginning, uh, you writing in English or Portuguese or French, uh, the book does very well, gets a prize either at home or a prize uh, abroad. And then the big publishers, the UK and the US, come and offer big advances and, and take that author. And that author, who has been developed by the African publisher, <laughs> is lost to the African publisher. Now, I don't really want to blame the authors either, because obviously there is a material benefit for them if they are done by a big publisher who has got uh, a lot of resources to a lot of marketing and so on, and build up a name and, and so on. But what I think is now uh, uh, some of the other more progressive publishers, authors have, have done is that although they have published in, say, the UK or in America, I'm thinking, for example, Chimamanda, uh, who says, okay, but I, I retain the Africa rights so that that book can be pro- 
published in Nigeria, for instance. And, uh, and so the book is therefore available both in the US where obviously the sales might be bigger or the advances bigger, but the book will also be available in Africa. Now, I think the, the what uh, is a, a challenging situation, and one thing that I think we need to do is that African publishing, African writing, unless it gets it's a kind of respect at home, it cannot be respected very much abroad. For instance, we have now, uh, effectively speaking, uh, maybe two or three uh, prizes for Swahili literature. Now, the Mabati Cornell is now the one that is uh, doing very well, Swahili books. Right. Now, but if, for instance, you had in Tanzania or in East Africa, one or two big prizes that were respected, that were properly managed, that were, were you know, the countries in East Africa were proud to to, to, to sponsor these prizes. Obviously, you give, you give literature a high profile, you give the authors high profile, and they, they would not then have to, the need to go and be appreciated abroad because they're appreciated at home. Uh, and, and again, uh, if you want to give respect for your own language, that's where also big public, big or big prizes, an all Africa prize, for instance, you know, I think there's there some prizes in Nigeria. I think there was the Wallace Oyinka. There are some published some uh, prizes in, in in South Africa, but we don't really have a seriously seriously uh, good Pan African prize uh, in literature, you know, which which would therefore again raise the profile of African writers within Africa, so that they wouldn't have necessarily to crave for the Nobel Prize. It might be still interesting, but there would still be a very good prize in Africa. So African authors would not need to necessarily go out to, to publish overseas. And again, if they, if they have got big readership in the country, in Africa, again, the attraction to publish in overseas would be reduced. Yeah. But the, the whole ecosystem here we are dealing with that uh, uh, is not favorable to African publishers or to African authors. And African authors are finding solutions overseas, you know, because there are no solutions available now with that kind of uh, size at home. Yeah. Are you seeing you something? On yeah, it? please, Mkoki, go ahead. <laughs> I think you've captured it very well. I think, um, yes, uh, the, the, well, the, I think what we could say is, uh, you know, for example, with um, uh, Professor Guna's win, um, I think the, the biggest gain, I would say, is uh, certainly for Tanzania uh, has been that it has sort of, um, I want to say validated, but that's not really the right word. But um, it, has, it has allowed for literature, particularly fiction, to be noticed uh, in, in places where otherwise it was sort of ignored all this time. For example, particularly, especially in the government circles. So, you know, because it was such a, you know, such a big international prize, you know, the president uh, spoke to Professor Guna, the president of Zanzibar spoke to, you know, a lot of people who, I, you know, decision-making position, you know, where they could, you know, possibly affect, uh, the, you know, or, or build on or, or, or facilitate the idea of a prize, you know, even a national literature prize. I think now you can, you can be able to, you know, um, you know, you can continue arguing, but I think now you can, you will have an ear because there's a kind of, um, you know, they, they're able to see the, the, the advantages that it brings to the country because you know politicians have their own way of <laughs> of seeing of looking at these things and and I think <laughs> whatever it is I think it will be beneficial to to writers here so um, I I think that is a really big um, step uh, which we can we can you know as we as we continue I think we'll start to see a little bit more um, activity in that space. But yes, like like uh, Baba was saying, you know, um, 
as until we start also writing more in you know in in our own languages for example you know uh, because naturally you know the you know we have to build an audience as publishers we have to build an audience we have to to strengthen distribution to strengthen our marketing to make it uh also lucrative so not simply you know in terms of you know, material gains, but also I think in terms of widening the, the reach of the work. I mean, I think every, every writer wants to be widely read. I think most writers anyway, you know, you write so that you, you're read. Of and course. some of the challenges that we're dealing with, you know, just sort of getting uh, books to reach as far and wide are also in some ways contributing to that, um, you know, to, to making, you know, uh, writers aspire for, you know, uh, publishing in markets that are wider. But of, of course, the, 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 the irony of that is then you are read by everybody but your own people, <laughs> you know? So, so it's not always necessarily as fulfilling to some. And I think, you know, um, uh, we have a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of work to do there and uh, we're continuing to do it. And I think as, as, we, as we get better with digital distribution, I think this will slowly start changing. But yes, we need to start building platforms and prizes that are local. Uh, a Pan-African literary prize would be fantastic because then, you know, you know, with prizes, you know, there's an aspect of prestige. There's an aspect of recognition, which I think it's, you know, once you've built it long enough, you know, it will, it will start attracting, you know, more talent. So, yeah, that's what I would, I would add to that. Well, well, it, well. I'm another example of a, um, you know, of a global distribution that's starting to to elevate um, attention to to Tanzanian writing. Um, is the the recent adaptation of Adam Shafi's novel uh, *Vuta Nkuvute, or *Tug of War*, um, which which has been turned into a screenplay by Emil Shivji and and was just, I think, uh, screened in Zanzibar, but also has been receiving attention at various international film festivals and just won the um, Umaru Uganda Prize in Ouagadougou. Um, this, was, this was also a, a, an Mkukinanyota title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what... I, I think that... I mean, that's exactly what uh, I think we... we is proving the point we have been making mm -hmm. that there is good writing, but this good writing has to be also nurtured by good publishing. <laughs> if I can say that, uh, I started working with uh, Shafi a long time ago from his first, second, and that's this is the third book. And I think there are already other works which uh, uh, could be turned into film. And when people start seeing this kind of work being turned into film. Film, of course, brings more people quickly, but then it also validates the, the work. So people will look at the picture and say, oh, let me read the book as well. Mm -hmm. So once people begin to connect between writing, between um, the book and the film, and now there are other areas we could exploit, by the way. This film is only one of them. I mean, there could be, I don't know, TV series that could be animations, there could be all kinds of ways to exploit the content. And therefore, I get particularly targeting the young people, because then you want to bring in a bigger audience, which Mukuki said, you want to create a bigger market, a bigger audience. And that's how to, you attract younger people who are probably not so keen on reading in the society in the way we read, but would combine to appreciate literature through these other media. You know, so it's it's all in it's all exciting actually. <laughs> you know. are, are you starting to see that happen at all with with Shafi's text? I mean, in the wake of the success of Tug of War, is are you seeing a boost in sales, <laughs> or is it too soon to say? No, it it hasn't been a huge boost yet, but definitely we are seeing a lot a lot of renewed interest. Um, and you know because. This, uh, this book came out in 95, I believe, 95, I believe. And, you know, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, a huge 
a huge audience which is online today was probably very young then right um, and um and also as a result this film and it hasn't it hasn't screened in dar es salaam or rather in the mainland if i can say um so I, we are we are also expecting to you know to widen that that sort of audience because i think here what it what film does to books is just uh it it allows a book or a story to reach new audiences who are probably wouldn't have likely kind of stumbled on that novel um so 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 i think once uh because the first uh, screening in tanzania was in zanzibar uh very very successful very great very very good turnout um and i think there's going to be a screening uh this year uh, uh on the mainland um and i think we'll start to see even more but definitely there's a renewed interest there's you know a lot of people are asking you know we're having conversations around the stories around the characters around actually even more importantly around the it has allowed centering the centering of a tanzanian uh oswahili story in kind of our consciousness you know because a lot of time we can you know there's a huge uh audience of netflix watchers in tanzania and all these you know uh, all these different films from all over there's, there's you know in, on tv you see these soap operas from um i don't know malaysia or china or oh, yeah. uh, mexico like you know telenovelas and things like that that are translated into kiswahili but i think the conversation we're seeing now is like wow i didn't realize that we have such amazing stories you know and people can relate you know at a very very deep kind of almost visceral level with these stories and i think uh that's a very interesting conversation that is happening now because uh you know you know about our stories but sometimes when you see uh you know it on the big screen and you know it kind of you know it hits you at a, <laughs> you know at a place where you're familiar with because you're used to watching a lot of films so when you see one of yours it is kind of uh uh it really gets you thinking and maybe you know hopefully gets you to pick up uh, a book and hopefully to inspire even more more um filmmakers to sort of look inwards because i think that's always been a challenge you know they they forget that there's a lot of material here you know to work with yeah i was just going to ask you whether you you have other literary texts in mind that you've published that you think are are sort of poised uh to kind of garner this interest in adaptation or or a translation <laughs> yes quite quite a few i mean I, i would say for sure uh mungu akopeshwi by uh zainab uh, bahrun would be a, a good candidate it's obviously it's a it's a it's a more, it's a newer story set in in much much more modern times but it's uh and and i see it you know even from a budget point of view i don't think it will need a lot of budget a huge mm-hmm. budget to to make it into a beautiful film you know um yeah i mean there are some old classics like mirathi atari um no i mean there's quite quite a few <laughs> very good uh, good good books that could could easily kind of turn into into films but i think even to add to that um you know one of the mediums that we 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 you know i'm very passionate uh, about uh and i would like to develop some more is graphic novels um uh, because um the advantage of graphic novels is that you know you can really you can you can do uh what a film can do without the budget of a film you know almost you know uh so it allows it allows for for kind of stories that would otherwise be too expensive to make into films you know you know if you know sci-fi you know stories in 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 kiswahili especially um you know and kind of all these imaginative um uh speculative fiction which could maybe otherwise be a bit difficult to do just because it's it's a bit they tend to be expensive but i think we can explore some of those themes using a medium like a graphic novel mm-hmm. you know and uh and 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 so on so i i think um yeah it's exciting but, but yeah maybe maybe baba may I, have some as I, yes, i just wanted like, to, to to actually say that uh i think this is going to be a very exciting um uh, that 
beginning of uh, of doing uh, cinematic work with uh, film work with a quite a number, but I can think of almost at least 10 books that mm. I would immediately think they had capacity for. I even short films, not let's say long films, things like Alia uh, Onja Pepo, you know, these plays that we have, or the series of plays that we published, uh, for instance, even, even Semene Osman, for example, translation of the Lomanda, the... the uh, Mariola, Awala uh, Feza. Yeah, Hawala Feather. Right, the money order, right, yeah. We've got quite a few plays like that, which could be mm -hmm. done into, you know, 15, 20, 30 minute films, short films, to again, to, to, to continue to attract people towards uh, linking uh, literature with film, you know, basically wakening up people to the consciousness of creativity and so on. Uh, that's a very interesting area that I think who can, you know, our company will be looking into because uh, I think my own experience certainly is that when you can see a story and a book and see it into film, <laughs> then then you are being you are being called upon. You are engaging in in a whole. What can I say? Um, movement of creative movement, so so to speak. And that's extremely interesting as far as I can see in terms of building also on, on creating this, this market for cultural productions, you know. Uh, so it's, it, 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 it's interesting, it's really exciting. If, if, if I may just add on that, I think there's one thing that is interesting, especially when we start uh, adapting um, books to 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 films. Um, I think we are showing the possibility of uh, our stories on screens, and I think one thing that we 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 forget is there's a whole young generation which is, for the most part, consuming everything through screens. You know, most of the entertainment is through screens, and for them, something to be valid, you know, even if it's news, even <laughs> anything, their reality is through screens. And I think, um, you know, when they start seeing these stories come alive, you know, even if, it's, even if it's not a big screen, it could be a screen of their mobile phone, it could be a little TikTok video, it could be, you know, a, a kind of a, a clip on WhatsApp, you know, so it doesn't always necessarily have to be the big screen. But I think once we start moving these stories onto screens, they become so, so kind of, uh, you know, normalized, you know? And I think once we start normalizing them to make, to take sort of the, the, the novelty out of it, then, then we really, you know, I think we can, we can start to see a lot more work done because there'll be a lot more players, you know, uh, and, and, you, and, I, and I would even say a lot more writing in the process and a lot a lot of seeking of older works you know um you know and bringing them back into into play so i i think there's something that this will inspire you know beyond just uh just the you know the normal uh film format you know movies but also maybe smaller kind of short pieces uh but just the kind of the validation of the screen that the young people seem to be more more attuned to yeah yeah has has Mkuki Nanyota ever experimented with with audiobooks? I'm thinking about you know a, a sort of another immersive uh, medium. And and since at least when I was living in Tanzania, radio was a ubiquitous form um, everywhere. <laughs> and I wonder if there's there there would be a market for for audiobooks for that reason. Um, yes, um, I mean actually we we have not done audiobooks yet. Um, but it's something that we've been kind of uh, playing around with the ideas and sort of deciding when to start. But I think definitely this year we will get some audiobooks out. But um, the the and I agree. I think we're we you know we are a radio nation. Like there are a lot of you know community radios and and even though things have changed quite substantially now with with the internet, but still 
you know, we're even seeing podcasts starting to make a little bit of, de- of a dent into to the market. They're kind of late to come into Tanzania, but now there are people who are starting to listen to podcasts. So that also opens up, you know, avenues for serialized kind of content, you know, right, yeah. um, in terms of, you know, in, 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 in episodic kind of formats. Um, but uh, so, yeah, this is something that we're, we're going to be doing a lot. Uh, as we move, we're gonna start this year, um, but we're gonna we're gonna do more. Um, I think obviously the challenge still is in somewhat, you know, how do you then uh, get them in such a way that people can be able to purchase them, even if for very small uh, fee, but just sort of be able to to pay for that content so that some of the, you know, so so that we can get royalties for the authors and and we can sort of pay at, at the very least pay for the production costs of of doing this. Of course. So this is some yeah. of the some of the things we're thinking about. But de- yeah, definitely audiobooks will be uh are definitely coming 2022. <laughs> I'd like to to just add in there. Uh I think some of these things we could do uh better if we had uh, a kind of national support, support like uh uh, sort of like the Arts Council in UK or similar organizations in other places, because many of these uh, uh, these uh, projects, uh, you know, you'll be doing them on experimental basis and they are not likely to make yeah. money. And then we have yeah. got also, unfortunately, a serious problem of, of piracy. Mm. And, uh, this one very discouraging uh, <laughs> uh, reality. If you think, for instance, okay, let's let's do a series of uh, of audio books, and then some people just go and pirate them, and, and they go and produce uh, all sorts of little things, that, you know, and it's all over. You don't get anything from it, although you have invested a lot of of, of work, especially in publishing the books and then putting them back into audio format. So, and I'm not sure yet if there are. Uh, very secure solutions, so, so the solutions for security, enough to to ensure that uh, the publisher, the author, get something back. We'll try to to make it as inexpensive as possible and available to people as possible. Adam Cook did make the point earlier that uh, our internet exposure has been that quite a lot of the things. Uh, that people go to see, to watch, are, are free. And so people assume that once they've paid for their bundle, you know, uh, uh, that the rest is free, <laughs> it should be, should be sold. Right. And how, how to break that mentality is going to take quite some time. But uh, again, the solutions we can find at a technical level, but also support from the state by strengthening, for instance, the law on, on, on copyright, protection of copyright. And, uh, you know, actually, you know, uh, helping us to weed that out because it's, uh, it's, it's, it's terrible. I understand, for instance, in Nigeria, up to about 40, 45% of all the books on the market are pirated. Uh, you, know, you know, that's really Incredible. very discouraging. Yeah, and, I, and it's, 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 it's becoming quite, um, uh, Serious also in Tanzania. It hasn't gone to the level of Nigeria, but the, the more we produce, the more we are going to see also the pirates coming, play a very negative role in this. Well, I, w- I was going to ask you just as a final question, which you've already sort of started to answer. Um, what, what, in your view, are are the urgent changes that need to take place within publishing and the book industry today? Um <laughs> <Cook answered that>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I think first and foremost, the a stronger protection of copyright, I think um, that is important because it allows copyrighted works to generate enough revenue to where to then be for that revenue to also be plowed back into creating even more works, you know, whether it's through obviously the revenue for the publishing house in order to, de- to develop uh, other works, but also for, you know, for the authors themselves to be able to leave off of their work so they can be comfortable enough to continue creating more, more, more work. So I think that 
is is absolutely important and that's only the government can be able to do that for um, i'll give you an example um it's you know photocopying of books is rampant in 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 universities and schools generally and uh for for books that you can be able to get into schools those would have been the books that essentially subsidize you know all these other literary works which do not have necessarily uh or do not bring the revenue that you would you would need for example if you need to publish if you want to publish poetry which typically doesn't sell much really anywhere in the world for that matter then mm -hmm. you would it would be nice to be able to raise some funds from selling as a, a textbook you know and then you can be able to fund these other kind of works of of cultural value which would be hard to 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 do otherwise but if if those few titles that you have that would fund a lot of other titles are also pirated and you get you get nothing from them then then that's you know you're you're really in a in a in a serious problem so i think um seriousness in copyright protection and enforcement that is definitely uh very important um and then i think support for cultural uh institutions you know um you know because uh, you know like they said you know i think uh mobilizing some funds to allow uh publishing houses doing cultural work to to be able to experiment a little bit more to have the kind of uh security to to develop works in that way um i think uh we spoke about the national prize it would have been very good for something like that to be to be installed by the ministry of culture for example you know and and be kind of incubated there in in and in, in, and funded by them, which would which have gone, it would do a lot more to the to the to towards sort of developing um, a lot more writers and and nurturing new ones. Um, uh, we need more libraries <laughs> to. We need more funding for buying books for libraries because our libraries now we're, we're building a lot of schools and libraries, but they're empty. They do not have books, um, especially. Uh, books that are outside of the sort of the curriculum, because I think we've put so much emphasis on uh, textbooks and we forget that really uh, reading culture and intellectual culture isn't really built by textbooks, you know, um, you know, in order to invest in, in reading and, uh, you know, we need to, we need to start promoting and, and buying and producing more children books so children have material that is relevant for them to read um, and you know and all the way up to adults so i think um you know as you can see all of these are essentially the tasks that i'm assigning to the government <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much their job just, just, yeah just just <laughs> one last point but, to add there huh? uh, uh -huh. if, if i may you know no, uh, the whole, the whole question of the, our, our African economies, for the start, uh, are not, do not favor uh, people's working in, in the cultural media. For instance, the banking system. How can you, for instance, borrow money to do publishing at interest rates of 18 to 20%? You know, but those are the interest rates going in our countries. So. Uh, publishers do not have access to capital, you know, working capital at reasonable uh, interest rates. I mean, in 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 the north, in these western countries, you know, one, two, three, four percent. Some some places like uh, Japan, where there's zero interest, uh, you know, on borrowing and 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 so on. I mean, because one of the issues here, we are talking about the prices of books. And the prices of books are obviously related directly to the cost of production and so on, and the, and the, and the, and the kind of financing. Uh, for instance, also the taxes, for example, taxes on paper and taxes on machinery, they make it so expensive that, for instance, it's cheaper sometimes to print books way in other countries in Asia than to, to, than to print locally. And also, if, if the prices of books are high, then, of course, you give pirates, <laughs> piracy 
reason to exist because the pilots don't incur the cost of production. So they can just, you know, whip up your good book and they don't care about quality. And that goes out at half of the price. So obviously people will go for that. So, but if the, for example, publishing could be, uh, if, if the banking system interest rates were reasonable, four or five percent, for instance, and the printing was available in good quality at reasonable prices, for instance, the same kinds of prices you, you get from the Middle East or Asia, then of course the incentive for, 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 for piracy is not there. To produce books at such a low enough price that there would be no need to pirate. So the, all these are, are issues which ought to be looked into uh, by government through serious book, book, uh, book policies. And again, we don't have even that kind of national book policies that are really serious. Uh, we don't have those because even funding, that could be some way to create funds for borrowing. I mean, there has been cultural funds where, we, where for instance, publishers produces any kind of books because we have access to funding. Uh, not gratis, I don't mean, but certainly uh, reasonable uh, interest yeah. rates. You know, that kind of issue, that, but that's fundamentally the economy as a whole, I guess. Mm. Zebagoya, Mkuki, thank you so much for this conversation. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I wish you so much luck, and I'm I'm looking forward to these to these audiobooks, to these film adaptations, to all of the <laughs> the up and coming. Thank you.